Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. It's Canyon's 100K Race Week and this is the fourth installment in our Coaching Call mini-series, which premiered back in January. Over the last four months, my coach and I, Ryan Gelfie, who runs Trails and Tarmac, have been publicly recording our monthly coaching calls so that you can follow the lead up to my prep for this race to get insight into a typical athlete-coach relationship in our sport and hopefully, maybe most importantly, pick up some tips and tricks for your own training. In this episode, we recap the last six weeks of the training block. We discuss the final preparation during race week. We outline a strategy for the early and later stages of the race, and we finish up talking about some of the new aspects of the race this year, including the relationship with UTMB. We also do a little bit of speculation for the competitive side of the event. Let's get started. All right, Coach Ryan Gelfie, welcome back to the fourth installment of our coaching call series. How's it going? It's pretty good, Finn. Thanks for having me back again. Uh, I'm psyched. We're finally to race week. It's been it's been a good road. I know. I feel like as the sport becomes more popular, you notice small bits and pieces of media coverage that are new each year. And I feel like it turned Monday, and there was a men's and women's preview from I Run Far. Treeline Journal did one. Uh, Free Trail is doing this whole fantasy trail running thing, and they're yep. making picks around the sports. I feel like we're in like a we're in our own like Boston Marathon type week right now. I mean, I think in a lot of ways it is. People might, you know, it doesn't have the history, obviously. Uh, you know, it has the backing of the biggest race organization in trail running, obviously, with this being a UTMB race. Uh, and if you look at the field, I mean, who knows how many people will truly start, you know, when you look at these ultra sign-up lists, like, hmm. it's, you have to assume a bunch of people won't run. Uh, but even still, I don't know. I think it's hard to, to say anything other than that this will be like the most difficult race to get top 10 in, in the U.S. this year for trail running or for at least ultra running. Yeah, I was scrolling down the list and there's at least 25 runners on the men's side and like another 15 to 20 on the women's side that could definitely compete for the top 10. And maybe Oh, I think fi- I'd say 50. I would say 50. it's more like, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, people who are capable of getting top 10, sure. Yeah, I'd say it's like 50. You'll see it on the race morning. There will be, I mean, if most of the people start, it'll be 50 to uh yeah 50 at least it'll just be a pack it'll be you won't even i mean the front of it'll be gone the front will run real fast i mean it'll be just a train of 50 60 people who think they could run in the top 10 yeah i was just gonna ask you i was just gonna ask you if we could visualize the starting gun in the first like Uh, 10 minutes of the race do you imagine that this is going to follow a similar pattern of every other major ultra in our sport where people just from the gun are just like full steam ahead and they're running unsustainably. I mean, without a doubt. And we can get into this more when we talk about like strategy and what, what it really looks like. I mean, if you break down the numbers from what people actually do in, you know, you know, this specific race, previous editions, it's pretty straightforward to look at it and be like, well, even the people that do well slow down quite a lot. Uh, and once you add this many people and you're dumping on the single track, uh, yeah, no, people will certainly be flying relatively speaking you know for the for the course and like how far the race is uh oh yeah and it'll be i mean it's to me dark pitch black dark for the first hour and a half yeah. uh yeah so it'll be a you know stream of headlamps and i mean i don't know i mean there's lots of little ins and outs on these like initial auburn trails and stuff i mean i've run probably most of them at one time or another but i think it's mostly single track you know the first five miles after you get well you get out you go through town and then pretty quickly you're on single track so 
it'll force people to run fast and you'll have to be pretty, you know, to not do that. And especially on that first, you know, mostly downhill five miles, like you either have to like be cool with slowing people down and not caring that like they might be annoyed or I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to figure out how to position yourself to, you know, just to not blow it in the first 10 miles. That's really like the main goal, not blowing it. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I know we'll get into this yeah. in a lot more detail later in the conversation, but I got to ask one more question. And that is, is there any logic to these runners going out extremely fast at the start, knowing that it's a pace that they're not going to be able to sustain and they are going to slow down? Like, because mm -hmm. so many people do it, is there any logic to it? Or should every single runner, in your opinion, be going out there thinking, I need to negative split or I need mm. to really find a pace that is going to allow me to be right. strong in the second half as opposed to like just hanging on fighting for dear life. No, I mean, I, it's, it's such a difficult, you know, thing for people to look at. Cause they're like, Hey, you know, whoever won the race, they were up in the front of the race at the start and they mm. were the best runners. Like, mm. so it, but if you look at the actual numbers, right? Like, I mean, it is takes some, skill and ability to look at the numbers and these Strava, you know, these great adjusted numbers and what do they really mean and what do they factor in and what do they not being a pretty big numbers geek myself. I, you know, it's something I've spent, you know, I guessed way too many hours looking at, <laughs> especially, you know, coaching lots of runners and using those kind of metrics. So when you look at how much people slow down, there's no question that they aren't running like necessarily their best race, but you know, that still might lead them to, you know, winning or to finishing in the top five or whatever. Like, you know, it doesn't, it's not like, Oh, they had this big positive split, great adjusted paced race. Mm. And therefore they blew up and, you know, sucked. Like they might've still ran a race, you know, looked pretty good. Like, Hey, they got fifth or they ran a good time. It's, but it doesn't mean that it was the, the right way to run it. Right. <laughs> it's just what happened. Right. Uh, I don't know. I do love watching, uh, what's Nick Curry. I mean, we already talked about him at one point, but yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is just one person, right? It's not like a big sample size, but you know, there aren't a lot of sample sizes of people running the first 10 miles of a trail ultra at a great adjusted pace that they actually finish at, or even close to it's super rare. Mm. Uh, I don't know. You'd, you'd be hard pressed to find 20 Strava files from, semi or you know elite level competitors that had an even pace profile <laughs> yeah one thing i'll say right off the bat and this has been one of the biggest breakthroughs in my opinion in my own training is i just got realistic about the paces mm -hmm. on long run day in blocks i got so realistic about the paces that i knew i could ballpark sustain during a race like i think in years past blocks past I would do these long runs that would like totally shatter me and they were totally unrealistic and they weren't anywhere near what I was capable of doing on race right. day. Like I was putting together like race effort long runs. Just honestly, I think A, because I was a little bit out of touch with my own fitness, but <laughs> B, because I was maybe trying to climb the ladder a little too much and then it just it right. leaves you battered for race day. So I think one breakthrough of this block is just like being way more honest about practicing the paces that I'm actually going to run on race day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a pretty good segue into, I mean, I think, I think it'll, I'll just do a little explanation of how I at least understand these Strava, yeah. these Strava grade adjusted paces, because I think it's really helpful when you're trying to compare one thing to another, to understand what you should be doing or what you shouldn't be doing and taking your long run and analyzing it. And anyways, so like for people who don't know, 
you know, if you're running on a track or a road or flat ground, right, we just use regular paces. Road runners, they don't really talk about anything except for, you know, paces, right? So they have some variables that affect pace, like heat or wind, right? These outside variables, which, you know, talk about these marathoners, like, oh, no, I had a headwind. You know, they talk about wind and how that slowed them down 10 seconds per mile, you know. But in trail running, we have like, uh, you know, dozens more variables and the elevation gain being uh, probably the biggest one. So Strava and other apps like Training Peaks has their grade adjusted formula. Mm. I'm sure I know other apps do too, but like most of us use Strava, or a lot of us use Strava. And if you have the premium version, you, you used to get grade adjusted paces in the, you know, the free one. Now you have to pay. Um, but basically they, they, they have some sort of proprietary calculation where they try to say, okay, here's, this mile and you climb for really simple purposes. Let's just say you climbed one, you went one mile and it climbed 400 feet and you ran 10 minute pace. They'll make an adjustment and it'll say, well, if that had been flat ground, that would have been a 745 mile. Is it a perfect number? I'm not saying it's like, oh, that's exactly a perfect number. But if you're looking at it like today, comparing it one run to the next or comparing yourself to yourself, it's probably pretty helpful. What it doesn't take into account is altitude, the conditions on like, is it rocky? Is it smooth? Right. Is it a road? Like none of that stuff. So you have to look at those things in their own right. Um, but looking at that, so if you look at some of the you know past performers at like last year's Canyons race, you can see that a good race, you know, for getting around 10 hours or high nines, which is a really good race for most people, right? That's about eight minute grade adjusted pace over the course of the whole run uh right so i mean they're downhill they're, the downhill kind of great adjuster is kind of a little funkier but if you're doing similar terrain to canyons uh you can look at you know then it's comparing a little bit somewhat apples to apples even though like the downhill great adjuster doesn't always make that much sense i mean it kind of does and it, sometimes it kind of breaks down i think at points like um anyways so like looking at your biggest long run in this block, which came a couple of weeks ago, uh, was April 3rd. We had you do five hours or a little more elapsed time at least. And, yep. you know, part of this was road. Not that much of it was road though. Like it's what just was the last uh, three like miles. Like three miles. Yeah. So there's pretty much no road, like as much as canyons basically. So you could call it a pretty good comparison. And your grade adjusted, you know, your average grade adjusted pace for that run was eight eleven per mile, right? Mm. So, you know, it's not taking into account the altitude. And the other question is like, how similar is the terrain on that long run versus canyons? I would surmise it's probably somewhat similar. So to your point of having you having kind of gotten better at figuring out what pace you really, you know, might be able to sustain, like what is a true 100K sort of pace like that long run is a pretty good example of like, hey, that's a good, if you could do that, it would be a good race, but it's not impossible. It's not like, a seven minute grade adjusted pace for that long run where, you know, the winner of canyons didn't even do that, you know, nine, you know what I mean? Like this is more realistic. Yeah. So I think you're right. And just to paint a picture, I, I think two years ago, I would have tried to run that at seven eleven GAP pace. Yes. And, you would have. I, and I would have been shattered after that for weeks. <laughs> I would have missed workouts. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, Cause I know that we, we had to compress a lot of stuff because we were coming off an injury in the last five to six weeks, but like, so I was tired regardless, but, um, yeah, it's still think, 33 uh, mile run. <laughs> still, yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying that was one of the learnings of the block. And I, I think it, 
it's really helpful because then you you can get good mental quality there but still physical quality you still have time to do other stuff later in the week like you can recover faster too right and you can get you know, other hard work in the rest of the like the midweek that's right like some long runs maybe on occasion maybe it makes sense to have a harder long run like you know a long run of that caliber 20 to 30 miles that's way faster you know that's more of a race in its own right but in our case this time a we decided not to do that not to have a race of that length in the buildup and then b after you hurt your ribs it really wouldn't have made much sense yeah um so yeah we were pretty dialed on that front and even like you're saying you're still tired from a 33 mile long run like and it it is this balance of like how much emphasis do we put on the long runs and still have you able to like perform higher intensity, whether, you know, higher intensity, like threshold tempo type work during the week. And you can feel it like you can't do as quality of tempo running or harder running when yeah. you're having some of these three, four five hour long runs. It's just, you just aren't going to. And that's fine. Actually. Like you can't be like, Oh, I'm not running 520 pace right now. Yeah. And I was, you know, earlier yeah. in the block, you were like, able to rip off that kind of workout, but we weren't doing those types of long runs. So like, that's at least a theory, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect theory, but you know, we started with the faster stuff. You were super capable. Then you got yeah. your little rib injury, but then we say, you know what? You still had time. We came back. Remember when you were like questioning, like, can I even do Canyon? I mean, <laughs> obviously at the time it made sense. You're like, I don't know, but I'm sure glad we didn't, you know, get too, too down on ourselves at that time. Cause now it's like, well, you're here and, you know, you're ready to go. So, um, but anyways, yeah, like the long runs take a toll, even when you run them relatively intelligently, like I would say you, you have done over this block. Um, no, you know, think about like, I mean, the Boston marathon was today, which is, you know, always fun. And uh, thinking about like these road runners and how most of them train, almost none of them run over two hour long run, you know, maybe they run two ten or two twenty, but like these elite marathoners never run five hours, yeah. not even the great CJ Albertson runs five hours. So like we're doing stuff that's kind of, it's super fringe. If you really think about it, experimental. And it does make like you're, you probably a great road. And we'll see this weekend. There's a couple, you know, you know, recently great road marathoners, like Canyons hundred K and a road marathon are not anything alike right. so we you know you couldn't you wouldn't want to train just like a road marathon. but i guess what i'm getting at is we have to respect that oh yeah five hour run even if you do it in a controlled way is a is a pretty big stimulus and a pretty big effort and like uh that's why like some of your workouts like you're pretty tired and like think about your training log you know the last couple of weeks you're kind of like man having a harder time motivating for some of the tempo work and yep. you know you're not able to produce the same yep. kind of level but you're going to be rested on saturday and i think it's all going to come together pretty well like the combination of things that you're going to need yeah i gotta say i was feeling pretty <clears throat> and I, I knew we, we were taking a lot of risks trying to compress stuff in the last six weeks and honestly i think we like pretty much nailed it i felt pretty haggard last week like i think i had to do a totally different workout and it had to be like half of what you prescribed just to get mm -hmm. through it. But like today we're recording this Monday of race mm -hmm. week. I feel the best I felt all block. Like I did a little mini workout today. Oh, yeah, um, it was just a great like a, workout a tune too. up and I just feel firing on all cylinders. I slept well last night. And I also think what I got two massages last week and I'm learning that you actually do need recovery right. from massages. Like yeah. that, that beats up your body too. So I got those in tandem with the running. <laughs> But you just got to trust that like, you know, 
the, it's all going to come around pretty much at the right time and yeah. you're not going to feel good in the meat of it. Yeah. At least not all the time. It wasn't like the last five, you haven't felt like crap the entirety of the last five weeks. And, you know, looking at your weeks, it's like, what do we go? Your first week back post rib injury was, and this is not counting, you know, I'm just talking mileage, but 50 yeah. miles and then 69 and then the big, you know, 78, 77, 80. So we had three, yeah. you know, pretty big weeks. I think they were between, you know, 11 and 12 hours training yeah. time. I think you're certainly capable. It's not like you've never run at this level and your recovery. And another factor is like your recovery running is as recovery oriented as you've probably consistently ever done it. Like Definitely. some of your runs are nine minute pace, which is very slow for you relative yeah. to, you know, your ability. And you, yep. it's pretty intentional, right? I mean, yep. you chose to do those. It wasn't like you felt so bad you had to do them at least most of the time. Historically, I'm averaging 10 to 12 K of climbing a week. And this mm -hmm. is probably the first block in my entire life. And I know that you didn't necessarily say, go do this train or that train. It just, it's just the way the chips fell from like a day-to-day -day standpoint. I probably did the least amount of Bird. climbing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of road running and I'm curious, just given that I ended up doing a lot of quality and I did a, a you know, pretty specific course, specific long runs. Do you think that that's going to bite at all? Or do you think it's okay to have, you know, the amount of road running I had mm -hmm. and relatively less volume? I'm, and you know, it, it's possible. It could be even better. I mean, I don't know. We like trail runners like running trails, right? So like, I think as a product of that, like people get used to the idea of running, you know, quite a lot of vert and maybe not doing very many or if any road runs. I mean, I know yeah, at times you've been that way where you're kind of like, like I'll even try to be like at least one day away, you know, let's try to at least get one flat run a week. But now that, cause your cart, well, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but if you're, uh, you know, you're not driving much. So it's like, you kind of are half, you can't get to the trail every day right. or certainly not as easy. Right. Um, I, I don't, so, I mean, I think that it could play out even better. I mean, there's a, there's benefit to the efficiencies gained by simply running on flat ground and not tiring yourself out in the same way. I mean, if anything that you would worry, like, are you going to have enough resiliency with the repeated downhill mm. trauma, right? Like if you look at the canyons, it doesn't matter I mean, any hundred K, you know, any trail hundred K, there's going to be a lot of, you know, repeated downhills, right? Where you're kind of getting more and more beat up and fatigued and like, but I mean, it's not like you did no vertical and yeah, you had yeah. long runs that had, I mean, you, you did a really good job. You go out and you, and you didn't just go do, I'm going to go slog out one big, long climb and run back down. We did up, down, up, down, like really intentionally. And you, like, if you look at your biggest long run, you know, you're climbing at very consistent paces throughout, like you're, you know, looking at your grade adjusted paces, you did four climbs on that run and your final climb was probably your fastest and you know so and then you had plenty of descending before that so it's like no i don't i don't think that like having had less overall vertical is likely to be like something like you're it's not going to cause your demise in this race i really don't think that you could have run more vertical and it wouldn't have necessarily been worse either i mean i think there's a range of what's what could work yeah <laughs> um if you had done say like almost no vertical you had all these flat long runs and you're you descended almost none. You know, if you had really only run flat, I'd be like, yeah, you might be screwed. <laughs> but that's that wasn't the case at all. Like you had a pretty good mix still. I think we all respond differently, right? I, I've experimented with it all. Like I think two years ago when I was living up in Big Cottonwood Canyon, for example, yeah. I was 
climbing 15, 20 K a week. And right. I think this is just relative to me. I probably felt the least in shape of my life, but that's just because I probably have different stimuluses that I benefit from. And I do think that like, for example, road might be an area where I just get a lot more bang for my buck. I don't know. Yep. But um, anyways, it's just funny because like aesthetically, there are some like unwritten rules in Utah. Like you need to put in X amount of vert each week to be like a trail runner and all really? that kind of stuff. Oh, well, what, I mean, it's... What's, what's the right number? Like you got to put in 15 grand a week if you're going to be in the, uh, in the cool, cool people circle. Uh, let's just say I haven't been cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever does transpire this weekend, I mean, it, it'll all be, it's all a little bit experimental, right? Like a lot of these questions and we're all kind of experimenting on ourselves and seeing, you know, how, this is what I did. How did it work? And like with a race, I don't know. It's funny because you it's like a race is such a, it's so difficult to execute. There's so many variables. It's like, even if, you know, the training and the race, like how they connect, it's like, maybe you can draw really, you know, firm lines and be like, yes, this led to that. But you know, there's, uh, it's almost always more complicated than that. It'll be interesting to see how it, well, I don't know. I'm excited to see how it shakes out for you. And hopefully we get to run together some too, because we'll, uh, I don't know, we, we're, we're going to be in a similar position, I think. At least, yeah. I, at least I could trail you for maybe 10 or 20 um, miles before it, you take it might off. Be me, it might be me trailing you. It's hard to say. <laughs> well, I'll say this. And, and honestly, largely thanks to you, I do think that coming into this race, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. Like I was just looking at like stuff I had done. Cause you, you know, I have six years of Strava to look at and yeah. The times we're hitting on workouts have never been better. My long runs, in my opinion, have never been better. I, th- I feel like I have the best fitness I've ever had. And then yep. just because of time and your coaching, I probably have the best head on my shoulders I've ever had too. So I just think I'm in a position to race smart. I don't think yep. I'm going to be, you know, setting off any fireworks, but like, I think that I'll hopefully have a <laughs> chance to mop some people up in the second half. Yep. Yeah. I mean, very few people are ultimately ready to set fireworks. I mean, there are, there's people like, an Adam Peterman or, you know, there's yeah. probably a handful of people that's like, you know, they could run some pretty filthy times and the rest of us, <laughs> whoever us, you know, whoever <laughs> us is, um, are, you know, not going to run under nine hours, no matter what we do. Right. Like we're not going to be those firework blasters. Uh, I mean, I think for us, it's like running a smart race is your best chance of having, you know, the performance you're looking for. Like, it's not like gambling. You're not like, you know, there's like, you know, you buy a scratch it ticket and you're like, there's a small chance I'm going to win $5 million right now. I would say in this instance, there's, there is no chance. Uh, there is no $5 million lot. Like your physiology and your abilities like are, there's just no luck. <laughs> you know, they're not like, Oh, I got really lucky in X and I ran 850, you know, like yeah. you, you just, that's not going to happen unless you're in that, unless you're that good. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, being realistic is super helpful and it will, you know, certainly set you up for your best race. Uh, no matter trans- who you are. Transitioning to race week here for a second. Yeah. How do you typically like to coach your athletes through the last five to six days leading into a race? Gosh, I mean, it, it depends so much on a, the, the per, I mean, I could, yeah, at the person, like what their goals, desires, motivations are. I mean, some people are, don't want very much stress. They don't want to think, you know, they really just want to finish. I mean, if the, you know, their goals are probably a lot different than your goals in some ways. Right. Um, and some people really thrive on, yeah, that they thrive on like this, the, that kind of heightened awareness and that heightened stress of race week. And I don't know. So, I mean, 
I don't know exactly if I always do the right thing or say the right thing. I'm sure I don't, but I try to like think about the person and you know, what I think they need to hear on race week more often than not, if they're a competitive sort of runner, who's like, yeah, I've got, you know, I'm fit and I'm ready. And I'm so I, I just try to keep them reined in. Cause like that pre-race, like just getting overly stimulated in your, you know, mentally and like visualizing the race going too well, like visualizing yourself, just like destroying people and running up these clients like visualizing it in a too rose colored of a lens i think rarely is helpful but that is i've done it too much like you just get all jazzed up and then you get to mile whatever you get in the middle of the race and you're like oh i didn't envision this like shit storm at mile 30 you know like you didn't envision the stuff that was more likely to happen so i try to keep people from you don't need to get all jazzed up and you need to be pretty calm and yeah you know let you, you know, you got to save that like heightened mental sort of awareness. To, you could, you just don't have that much of it. So you got to hopefully harness it and have it in reserve when you need it. I probably unintentionally don't think about the race to a fault. I think I just have a baseline inability to do visualization. I don't even look at like what the RD sends in terms of like what to put in your pack <laughs> until I'm on the flight to California. And I'm like, oh, I should have picked that up at REI right. before I left. Man, yeah, which we yeah we'll get into that too because there you know there's I don't know yeah there's some nuance to this race but uh I mean I don't I'm not think a planner a, though I'm not like I just oh I'm, <laughs> I signed up for the race and you know come what may yeah. well I think that's probably I mean yeah visualization and I'm not a psychologist I really I, I think like it does I actually help. it probably does I think visualizing a, an array of things possibilities and not just imagining the good ones, but imagining ones you're going to have to work through. And I mean, I, I used to be terrible at this. Like I have tried to work on getting better at like, you know, visualizing things that are likely to happen that aren't necessarily good. But, and then like troubleshooting them in these visualization scenarios. Like, yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, with a hundred, a hundred K with this much, you know, there's just going to be obstacles you know, that you're going to face, even if you run really smart, you're probably still going to have obstacles. So it's like, I think visualizing those things and how you're going to deal with them is better than like visualizing this race that just is all hunky dory and just goes exact, you know, just, you feel good. the whole. You're not going to feel good the whole time. Like, I don't know. So I think visualizing good and, you know, difficult things is key. If you're, you know, leading in the week of a race like this is it safe or not to... visualizing. Yeah. Is it safe to say that it's going to be muddy and, and cool, relatively cool weather this time? Like, what's the forecast I mean, saying? I've been looking at it, you know, pretty much every day. Uh, I would say probably I was going to wear this road racing shoe. I was all excited about it because I'm like, man, I finally get to race in like a light shoe. And because if these trails are dry, you you know, you can totally. Could run. you wear like a Nike Next Percent? I don't. I don't know. I I have like I don't think you'd want the plate. Okay. I think. I actually don't have an, I have like an Adidas cheater shoe, uh, which I think it's pretty similar. And I definitely would not run any trail race in it. Okay. I have like this new balance, like, uh, it's called a race rebel. It's like pretty, it's nice foam. Like the foam is super, it's more plush. There's no plate. It's light. It's like a seven ounce shoe. Mm. I'm going to bring it. I, but I, I was talking to Cole who lives down there. My Cole Watson yeah, yeah, is yeah. a guy that I know and coach and stuff. And, it, it'll probably be muddy yeah it'll probably won't be a road and it'll be it's like clay like slippery it's not mud you'd wear a road shoe in you know it's 
and I've run like way too cool and formidable and stuff. And when it's muddy, it's like, yeah, it's muddy. <laughs> and so these trails are at least early on, it's in a similar area. And then we climb up and get, I don't know exactly how all the dirt will, will be like Friday. It's, it's going to tail off. Like the rain is supposed to come midweek. It's not supposed to, it probably won't be snow anywhere on this course. I think it's going to be all rain. Um, it really did. If Friday cleared up and it got really sunny, you know, like if the if the storm moved out quicker, yeah. it's possible the trails could be semi dry or at least not that wet. But I'm just preparing for muddy. I am going to bring those ribbed shoes just in case. But it's probably going to be a trail shoe day. I think. All right. If you're if you're bringing a backup pair of road shoes, I'll bring my Hoka Mox. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I like the way it feels. You know, there's just a little more responsive. It's a mostly uphill course, right? Or not? Yeah. There's plenty of downhill. Don't get it. Like. The road shoe probably won't be perfect for everything, but um, I don't know. I just I used to wear lunar racers all the time. For people who remember the lunar racer, they were like an awesome little six ounce marathon shoe, but they had enough cushion. I would do them for fit. You know, I ran North Face in them, and uh, I ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. Like they're all, Rob Carr only. Race. He ran Western States in the freaking lunar racer. I ran Western States in the Hoka Clayton. Right. See, I don't think it's, a, I mean, I think actually a lot of people wear road shoes it, or they'll switch into them like at Western yeah. after the first, you know, 40 miles, like they'll yeah. put them on at Michigan Bluff and they'll put them on somewhere. I, I mean, I think it's a good idea, but I think it'll probably be muddy this weekend. It, the race day itself. I mean, it does not look, it will be fine. Like it'll probably be 50 to 60 degrees the whole time. All right. Let's talk about strategy for a second. Ideally, uh, what do you want me to do? in the first let's just say quarter of the race actually first let's start with when the gun goes off am i one of those people that is sprinting out to try to get some ground or am i sitting back what should i do <laughs> there's no no world in which sprinting out to get like in contact with the lead pack is gonna is gonna help you because it'll go out in low sixes 620 six i mean it's 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 terrain right and that's not flat ground but i'll just go look at you know look at last year's race and you can pretty much rest assured what will happen and yeah so if you get out in the top 10 or 20 people you'll be running 620 and pay and you could totally do it like every all of these runners who are all these guys who are in the whatever, like the top 50 people on that list, most of them can easily go run that fast and they yeah. will feel good and it will feel easy. Right. And it will be way too fast. <laughs> like it's not, I mean, and especially because that first five miles, it's pretty downhill. It's yeah. not like, it's like pretty runnable. It's a downhill you can run really fast on super easily. I mean, I mean, I honestly think you don't want to run that. You want to be running like seven percent yeah, exactly. Like seven thirty pace. It is pretty easy, but yeah, seven thirty to eight minute pace on that first five miles. And I mean, it, it, you can kind of look at the average. So if you're like two miles in, right, and you're like, okay, I just went through two miles in thirteen minutes, then you. I mean, what you could easily do because I mean, plenty of people will, or maybe it's four. Like I think you you just can't go too slow. So, I'll be freaking out in a bad way if I'm gone through two miles in 13 minutes well i wouldn't freak out in a bad way it's only two miles like you can fix it it's more of like it's really hard to like change like this is what people will do is they'll get out and it's hard yeah you go too fast in the first couple of miles because it's like really hard not to <laughs> and then instead of saying all right like let's recalibrate let's you know make these adjustments they'll be like ah actually you know this is good i feel good let's roll 
I've done this too many times. <laughs> it's really hard not to do. Like, you just have to protect. And I, I don't know where, like, you know, my buddy David Laney, who won Gorge Waterfalls uh, a couple weeks ago. Anyway, so we go back a long ways. And some, I forget, I, I didn't talk to him. I read it somewhere, but he was like, basically, hey, you should really just look at this at the end of in the beginning <laughs> for quite a long ways into this thing. It's not that, it's no different than your regular, you know, Sunday long run. Like, mm. and if you can kind of take that physical and mental approach, like you're not keyed up, you're not like on the start line hooting and hollering, you know, you're really relaxed and you, you know, you disregard the competition entirely. Yeah. <clears throat> disregard that atmosphere as much as you can. Like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the key and it's hard, it's hard to do. It's like super, I mean, that's what I'm trying. I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> the plan I'm telling you is the plan I'm telling myself, really, because, uh, I mean, I, whichever one, uh, who can, whichever one of us might happen to be better or worse, it really doesn't matter because, like, our goal is pretty similar in that, like, we're going to try <laughs> to, we're going to try to really keep the, especially the, I think if you look at the course, right, it's like a pretty downhill first five miles on mostly trail. And then it kind of comes back up and there's a short climb. It's like two miles, mm. maybe a little more, two and a half. And it's not particularly steep. Uh, I'm just looking at, oh, is it goes 300? Yeah. It's like a couple mile climb that climbs at like 300 feet per mile. Right. So it's a super runnable climb. Um, and I mean, I think just getting yourself over that and not, you know, really still being in the, I'm not clicking it's easy to climb too hard, right? You think, like I'm looking at what Cole did last year. Yeah, because I mean, the is just a, he had a good race, and he did. No offense, Cole, but I mean, he he blew up too. I mean, if you look at his last, you know, climb, the the great adjusted paces are down into the. There's lots of high eights and nine minute pace and yeah. ten minute pace. So I mean, uh, it was he ran a good race, but it wasn't like it was even pace. Even for him, you know, he ran 940. So, but if you look at that little climb, I don't know what it's called, but it goes up from the river. You like cross a bridge. Is it like mile 40 something? Oh, no, I'm just talking about this first climb. Oh, the first climb, okay. That's what I, I mean, I think this is where you really get calibrated. Like you have to, if you're going to look at like, how do I pace this thing? That you're, you can make the biggest mistakes at the very beginning. And then the further in you get, the less mistakes you can make. Yes. I mean, you can still make mistakes. You know, it's not like mile seven is a magic number. You can no longer <laughs> go too fast, but you can definitely make the biggest mistakes early. So like looking at his, you know, he did that climb from, it's like the, yeah, you're going along the, you kind of cross the river and I think you get on a trail and then you're climbing up like higher above the river in the canyon and you go from like 600 feet up to 1200 feet in a couple miles, two and yeah. a quarter, two and a half. And he was climbing that thing at like mm, about eight fifteen pace on average, yeah. Which great, which great adjusted to six forty somethings. So in a perfect world, I think you're climbing that thing in the nine fifteen pace range. Yep. I mean, this would just be one. I don't know. This is not a perfect uh, gauge, but you could, if you wanted, and I might do this. Take a split. Like once you start climbing, take a split, and if you can, if you have that like the lap average pace on your watch, mm. you can kind of get part way up that climb. And if you're like climbing at eight minute pace, you can say, all right, well, that's, I know what that means. Cause I looked at this, you know, it's a great past point. data. Yeah. So if you, but if you're averaging nine minute pace, as you're starting to work up that, you know, 
you don't look at it in the first 10 seconds. Like you have to get a ways for the data to be very helpful or, you know, cause it's, it's only good on the average. So if you get a mile up and you know, you're like, okay, I ran, I'm running eight minute pace. It's, you can know for sure it's too fast. I mean, that's just as simple as that. Cause it is, it's like a six four. If you look at that climb, it's like no great adjust to like a six forty five pace. I'm definitely going to use that lap button. That's a great idea. Yeah. And I mean, at that, that climb it's, I checked both courses. I mean, I think it's the same climb. I'm like 99% sure. How about heart rate? Course. Do you want heart rate in like the 140s? I mean, for you, I would say maybe even lower. Like, you're, I don't know. I, w I would try to think, I think the heart rate monitor, and I, I, well, I look at your stuff all the time. I think it's not perfect data all the time. Yeah. Like some, it gets, sometimes like, I don't always trust what I'm reading from yours. No. Uh, and it's not to be offensive to yours, but I don't think we should rely on it. Uh, okay. We can look at it. I would say looking at it more after the, I would honestly say looking at this specific climb and looking at the average pace, like to say, to say, okay, am I doing this? Am I going slow enough or do I need to back off even more? Um, I think we should use that climb to like set your, to try to get calibrated. And then pretty quickly you'll be like capable of saying, all right, I, this is the, this is where I'm at right now. And then, you know, you want to keep that effort pretty consistently low, at least through 20 miles. Like it's going to eventually get harder, right? Like no matter yeah. what, even if, you know, you're running the perfectly paced race, it's going to get progressively harder, hopefully further out into the race, right? Like not at mile 15, but hopefully it feels pretty comfortable through mile 20, 25, 30, like where you're pretty unfazed. Let's just say that the goal is to run right around 10 hours on a perfect day. What time should I be getting through the 50k mark at? To get I know I was trying time? to look at that too. Um, I was looking at the the women's winner from last year, and what did she go? She went through 50k and like Beth Pascal. I think she went through 50k in 4:22. I was thinking 4:30. 4:30 yeah, on my end. Like if I could get through there in 4:30. No, no, she went too fast too, for sure. I mean, yeah. she ran a good race, but her, I mean, again, like if you look and some people, I mean, people, I should back up and people might say, Hey, but the last 20 miles of the course is more technical, which it might, I mean, I have run some of it. It might be a little bit more technical and it's, uh, so like maybe you don't want your grade adjust, you know, maybe the first part should be a little bit faster if you're trying to pace it this way, yeah. uh, but it shouldn't be that much faster. I mean, I, I, it's not like it's a, this isn't a rocky technical slow place. There are probably a couple miles out there that are more technical, but it's mostly, it's just the climbing and that grade adjuster does help you kind of yep. factor that part in. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It, and by the time you get to 50 K, I mean, ideally, yeah. I mean, I think going through in 430 to 435, that's kind of what I was in my head. That was like what I would try to hopefully be at. I think that would be pretty good uh, ballpark, maybe a little over 430. Cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that is a pretty, that would be like on pace for probably right around 10 hours with the way that, uh, you know, the course is much harder in the second half. Like yeah. A lot harder. So, I mean, I'm looking at this climb from like mile 43 to, I think about 49. It looks like it's about uh -huh. it's like a six mile, yep. 2000 foot climb. 
just a grinder, you know, like that, that seems like a pretty pivotal climb. And then, oh, yeah. and then one to the finish, like 53 to the finish, you're gaining another like 2,200. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of no, like I mean, CCC that... where you have these like back to back to back, like three climbs to either finish you off or you can like thrive <laughs> through if you're, if you're there, yep. it's. And they're a lot less steep than CCC or any of these European races, you know, like yeah. if you look at these climbs, like coming out of, I well, so it's like you go through Michigan Bluff and then you run the downhill from Michigan. And I have run that part Me too. a while ago, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's a pretty runnable downhill. I did it back when canyons started in Forest Hill and there was like a 50 K and we went anyways. So we ran down that. It's like a pretty smooth, runnable downhill. The, uh, and then that, yeah, like you're saying, that next climb, it starts out steep, you know, when you drop uh, at mile, you know, mile 44, you start going up and in the first mile, it climbs like 700 feet, it looks like. Yeah. It's it's a climb that you're probably going to hike some on, but in a perfect world, you're running most of that. I mean, the, both of the last two climbs, you're running the vast majority still in a perfect world. But, you know, that's, that's like, in a, yeah, that's in like a really good rate. I mean, and there's some hiking, even if it's run really, really well. I will say too, just to get you, you know, mentally prepared. I, the climb, that last descent is pretty bad. It's tough from what I hear. I don't think I've run it, but the descent from mile 50 down to 53 is steep. I think it's actually kind of rocky too. <clears throat> like that's the part where a road shoe probably sucks. Other than, I mean, I'm sure there's other parts that might suck a little, but that's like, if I had one hesitation, I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to get, you know, I think it's a trade-off that might be worth it if it's dry, but. Do you think if I'm going through that 50K mark in 430 to 435, I'll be in a decent position to be at least jogging those last two to three climbs? Hopefully, that'll be the big question. Yeah. I think that, that, and it, I mean, it depends on how you get to 435 too, right? Like you can be already slowing you could be going out too fast for the first 10 miles and slowing down to a 435 or you can be running 435 where you're feeling just as good at mile 30 as you did at mile 20 where everything is still really controlled and you know your gut's still intact you're eating on a schedule uh yeah so 435 it's not like it's a magic number it could you could be perfect or it could be like oh you're already you know people you could already be you know People, not just you, but people will be cratering by the time they hit 50K or, you know, they'll already be in the struggle bus. Now that I think about it, because we were talking earlier about like negative splitting and going out in a sustainable uh, way, I think a lot of people, myself included, still find it hard to believe that you're not going to crater equally as much just based mm -hmm. on the sheer amount of time on feet and what's yep. ahead of you and what you've gone through, like the ground and pound. But I think some people would say, it doesn't matter if you're running eight minute pace through those first 50K or six minute pace, oh. like you're going to crush yourself and there's still going to be that same amount of um, yeah, uh, bonking going on. So I don't know. I don't feel that way right now, but like I think a past self of mine would have said, oh yeah, that's the doubt. Uh huh. Oh, I think that doubt's always there. Even if you really believe it. Like I'm, I would say I'm fervently believe that there is no question that running an unsustainable pace for you in the early part of a hundred K never pays off. And I mean, I, I would say never with a capital N it doesn't, I don't think, I think that the physiology just doesn't, I don't think it will lie. There's no time in the bank. You know, there's no time in the bank in any distance that's well studied. There's no, you know, there's no marathon. <laughs> no one ever said, 
hey, in a marathon, you if you run the first half, you know, multiple minutes faster than you know you're capable, you those t- you you'll pay back with interest, and it. I mean, it just for sure happens. Mm. Uh, and you, people might cite, well, so-and-so went off the front and they won and they ran great. And I'm like, they were capable of that, you know, they, they were capable of that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's being realistic about what you are currently capable of, which is a hard thing to know. It's really, it's a super difficult thing to know in a race like this, especially when, you know, you, you do want to have like, you don't want to leave something on the table and be like, oh, I could have. I would have only gone out, you know, faster, you know, maybe I would have done better and stuff. It takes some faith is what I'm getting at. Like executing a plan like this, it'll take faith at the start, at mile five, at mile 10. Like it'll take faith at mile 20. You'll be like, man, I I should be hammered. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've done this right. It was really smart (laughs) in 100K for like the first 20 miles. Like really, it was, you know, I would have executed. And instead of like just be continuing to kind of be smart and like gradually increasing the intensity right like maybe the pace stays the same but it gradually becomes a little bit harder i like you know stepped on the gas at mile 20 and passed like you know it was a golden ticket race and i got like within five miles went from 20th place to golden ticket position and then i lost it i mean at the end i got passed and i got third (laughs) and it was for sure because i went i should have i had a capability of of getting top two and Mm -hmm. it was i blew it at mile 20 still so I guess it takes a lot of faith, even eternal vigilance. Yeah. Eventually it's eternal toughness. Like at some point it's purely about being tough as hell, tough as nails. Like, mm. but it's probably not at mile 20 yet. You know, it's somewhere in the second. It. I think you got to get to halfway being completely in control. Like that's the goal and fueling on a, you know, being super dedicated to your fueling plan and being mentally as you know rest as, as relaxed as you can like you've got to get to halfway you've got to get to, on this race it's like you've got to get to forest hill with all your racing abilities still intact like mm. you don't you don't want to be hanging on yet like at mile 45 sure like there's there you take risks there maybe that second to last climb i say go for you know if you're like i can you know you can push like then push yeah. like maybe you pay for it a little bit maybe you don't quite make it but like that's your risk your risk opportunities are after force till there's no point in big risks before that right well with just a little bit of time left here i do want to talk a little bit of banter about the race and uh maybe the first thing is this is the first time canyons is going to be a utmb race right and uh or or any race in america that's right this is the first year this has happened this is the where Iron Man and UTMB have partnered, you know, and they've been acquiring races all over the globe. So this is a super new phenomenon for trail running. How do you think that the race experience will be different this time around? Mm. Given that you've had experience at Canyon, are you anticipating any differences that might not be to our benefit oh. or yeah, stuff like that? I mean, it depends what experience you're looking for. Uh, I can, I don't know. I did canyons like a couple times, five or six years ago. It was like just a regular, awesome, low key American trail race. I don't know. It was not a huge field. I don't know how big it was. A couple hundred people probably, you know, there was some cool, you know, Rob Cry was there. Magdalena was there. There was like cool atmosphere. Uh, there certainly was no gear required. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was no, there was no, there was no like rules or there was no expo, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was not, you know, so this year, if you look at this, 
well, I actually forgot to look at the how many people were signed up for the 50K and the 25K, but I think it's at least it's over a thousand runners are signed up. So that's a big race in America. There aren't very many that are that going to put that many people out on a course in one morning. Yeah. Uh, so I think for people in the middle pack, back of the pack, like there's going to be a big conga line. You're going to be in a train of people. Uh, but it's going to be cool in a lot. I'm not I'm not just trying to dis- disparage it. There, There's downsides for sure to a bigger race with, I don't know, just different sort of ethos. Uh, but the energy is going to be cool. I mean, having that many people all on a start line, having that, that energy, like I love that those European races that are much bigger and uh, more hoopla, more competitiveness, yeah. you know, bigger, more competition. That's why I saw, I signed up for this partially because you told me to, and I thought it was a good idea. And it's like, all right. Uh, you know, I was like hesitant because I'm like, ah, oh, ski, you know, I'm going to have ski season and, you know, am I really going to be ready for a spring, you know, hundred K, but and I was like, no, this is a good idea. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome. I mean, it's super competitive. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't think it's good or bad. I think you just have to know it's going to be a lot different and, you know, embrace that part of it. Um, it's a lot different than like, it's going to, you know, all these races are going to become quite a bit different than like your old school, you know, American trail running races have been, you know, in the recent past and certainly the more distant past. How about this gear policy that might get instituted? Mm. Well, I mean, I, the, yeah, I, I just, I did a, I never actually don't post on Twitter very much, but I did one post because I was kind of like, it's very interesting. Like UTMB, when you so do, if anyone good. hasn't run, <laughs> anyone who hasn't uh, been over to Europe or specifically to UTMB, you know, the, the gear thing is like a huge component of like, all your prep, you're like training. It's like one part training, one part, what's all this crap I have to fit in this tiny little pack? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the UTMB gear list is like 20 items long. And I will say I have I have run UTMB where I used all the gear when it was really bad weather. But they mandate that you carry it. It's not like I get to look at the weather myself. Like this is where this is like, I think maybe the more cowboy part of me where it's like, I don't want someone telling me what to do. Mm. Uh, I want to be able to look at the weather and decide what I think is reasonable. Uh, of course, it's a bigger race, you know, and, and UTMB, I mean, that's, they literally will check. So at, at the, the mile 30-ish aid station at UTMB every year that I've done it, they have a, they, not even, they, people don't really even speak English all the time. So what they do is they have like a paper or like a little, like a little thing and it has like, and it's random. There'll be like three items that you have to pull out of your pack and show to the volunteer. The one might be your cell phone, your rain jacket, your cup, whatever. Like it'll just be random because they're trying to catch you. And if you don't have something, for instance, if you don't have a rain jacket, I think you get kicked out of the race. <laughs> so this is not like that. Like the canyons has like, you have to carry a headlamp the whole time, which is weird. Um, you have to carry some sort of jacket, but they don't tell you how you can have the crappiest little, it doesn't say, Oh, you have to have a jacket that's rated at 10,000 Schmerber units. Like it says at UTMB. Uh, anyways, it's just, there's just a few items on that list. And then they got, we got an email a few days ago. That's like, we might, that said, we might make you have all this other stuff. We're not sure yet. They're just trying to decide, I guess, based on the weather. And then apparently we don't have to carry it at least how I read the email, Me too. you can have this stuff drop bag. in a, in a drop bag. So I guess, yeah, I got to pack that stuff. <laughs> uh, 
I, it, you know, when I look at the weather forecasting, I've lived in Northern California my whole life. And well, I live in Southern Oregon, but I've lived in this region my whole life. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, if I, if I was going on a 60 mile solo run, my, you know, I wouldn't bring any of that stuff. I, mean, I wouldn't even question it. Yeah. Is it a real, I don't know. Maybe it's risk. You know, everyone wants people to be safe. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's a problem with being safe, but I think people should be able to like, you know, make that decision, but it's fine. If they make us do it, it's not like a, it really doesn't matter. It It is interesting regardless to see the value clash between historically slash current European organization moving into mm-hmm. North America and the mountain West and the Pacific West, which has a very strong independent streak and to see how those two systems clash. It's interesting. Right. I, I don't want people to think that I'm, uh, I'm not hating on you. I like UTMB. There's things I don't like about it too, like anything. Um, and the get real, the gear part really doesn't matter. It's like, okay, this is six extra ounces you're going to carry. Everyone's going to carry it. Like whatever. Like it does, it just doesn't really, I mean, the only day it's like maybe the anti-consumer hippies could really hate it. Cause it's like, oh, all these people are going to go buy the stuff, you know, like they're gonna have to go buy more stuff. Uh, but really not really. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal, I guess. So I'm getting out. Do you have any thoughts on the competitive field? So are there any male or female runners that interest mm. you and you're thinking, wow, that's, they could do something pretty cool on race day. Oh, I mean, gosh, I mean, I don't know. It's funny. Like I've been doing trail ultras for 10 years, pretty religiously. The last couple of years I've had a little bit of a, I don't know, like a lot of people, it's kind of a COVID layoff, but it's kind of like a, I'd been running too many. It's just like eight years of like six to eight ultras, like most every year. So it's kind of a good bit of a reprieve. So part of me feels a little bit like out of date. I'm like, who? I don't, I don't know all these people on this entrance list. You know, you look at it and like, yeah, it's hard. You'd have to be, I'd have to spend way more hours than I was going to spend to like research each of those people, you know, kudos to guy tree, you know, to tree line journal, iron far for like doing a lot of that legwork. I'm, you know, that guy read cool set. Or cool, I don't know how you say his name, but the guy who's a two to two ten marathoner. I have no idea how he'll do. I I and I don't know him personally at all. I wouldn't predict that he wins, but that's interesting. I think another really interesting big question mark in my mind is Zach Miller, who people might not have even seen on the interest list. But Zach Miller is like one of the best ultra runners ever in our time. Yeah, without a doubt. Some of the performances he's put up are I mean, yeah, truly pretty legendary. Uh and he's a guy who, you know, I got to run with and was on the Nike team with. So, I, And he has, you know, had a pretty good hiatus from a race like this. I'm pretty psyched to see him back on the start line. Uh, Jared Hazen. I think if Jared Hazen's fit, he could win. He should be, you know, right there. Mm. Uh, I would pick, I mean, people say, you know, Pete, Adam Peterman, they're like, uh, he hasn't run 100K. I don't know. If you look at this guy's training and... um look at his, uh, you know, look at his JFK time that he ran. It's like, I would pick that guy to win. It's hard to, it'd be hard for me to pick somebody over Adam Peterman right now. The two guys whose know. training what has impressed think? me the most is, um, and I know, talk about hiatus, Tim Frerichs. Like I was just oh, talking, yeah, I was just yeah, talking totally. like, read about this the other day. Like Tim Frerichs had every reason to be as good as Jim Walmsley, in my opinion, just like based on like uh-huh. college times and like things he did in 2016, 17. And I know he's had, a little bit of a drop off or hiatus. Maybe he had other things going on, but his training has looked awesome. Like he's been doing a bunch of those classic cowboy runs in yeah. the canyons. And then, I mean, that dude won Transvolcania for people who don't know. Yeah. 
Dakota Jones won Transvolcania, and Tim. I mean, I'm talking about Americans going over to a, a hot, humid, tropical, ridiculously difficult race. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that when Tim Frerichs won Transvolcania, I mean, that puts him on a pedestal in my mind. In a yeah. race. And like, it's funny because of how ultra signup works, but a lot of these r- people who are really good are like, you have to keep scrolling to find them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Frerichs is way down there, you know, because it's just how it works. I mean, on the women's side, I was going to say I one more, David Sinclair too. He's an endurance oh, monster and he's never I gone s- above 50K, I don't think. So this is new territory, but like that I don't guy's know him, a monster. He's super fast. I remember doing a couple of those. They had like that Solomon, like golden segment. Remember that? Yeah. And there was one in Trekkie. He won it. But I mean, I yeah, that guy is is super fast. I would say if you've never run over 50K, you're, you know, you're in for a lot of surprises. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You don't know what's coming for. And I mean, unless he's done a bunch of stuff that we don't know about or whatever, like I wouldn't pick, I wouldn't pick anybody, I guess maybe, you know, Peter, but Peterman's run 50 miles at least. Yeah. Um, I know on the women's side, I don't know all the women as well, just cause it's, you know, I'm not compete. I don't, I'm not a media person, I guess. And I don't, I compete on the, you know, the men's field, I guess, but I would, I think I would pick Ladia from, from Washington. Albertson. Yeah. Uh huh. I think she won Chuckanut and pretty handle handily, if I recall. There's a couple women in the field who are like low 240 marathoners as well. Um. Oh, I would bet actually quite a few of them are for low 240. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh. Yeah, like Megan Morgan in Boulder, Colorado, like 246 mm. marathoner. Um, I think Leah Yingling, who's based in Salt Lake here, yeah, she's had a she's, couple near misses. She solid. can do it. Um, right. Getting a golden ticket, you mean, or winning. Yeah, getting a golden ticket. <sighs> Brit- Brittany Peterson's heart, she, she's she's quite good as well. She's super consistent. Super dialed, too. I actually talked with her a couple weeks ago, and she was like on the road to the Canyons course. Like She already has a ticket to Western States, but she's so mm. into this. She's going to the Canyons course to just get course specific recon and she's wow. just doing all the things so that's pretty impressive uh but yeah i'll pick ladia for the women and adam for i mean i don't know we're not doing picks but those are my i'll pick adam for the men and ladia for the women okay i got see. tim frericks for the men and i got Brittany peterson for the women all right i don't know we'll i think we'll have to have some sort of uh finish line <laughs> well i don't know what we're betting on this but you know me and finn will figure it out we'll have to bet something though well before we go, A, I just wanted to say thanks for doing this experimental series where we, we do our coaching calls live. I had a lot of fun. It helped keep me accountable. And I think part of the reason why I feel good about this block is I had yep. this to rein me in. And so I thank you for doing that. And was there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Any insights that they can take with mm-hmm. them for future blocks, stuff like that? I mean... If there's one insight about training, about training, I'm just, yeah, training in general is that consistency is king. All the fun, you know, the intricacies of this workout or that workout or, you know, you know, like the stuff we like to geek out on, it's fun and it's not unimportant, but, uh, you know, being consistent and like just rolling with the punches. I think that's like the biggest thing I take away from your training block is that you got dealt a pretty sizable, you know, literal and and uh, not literal blow right like in the middle of this block where it's like you could have rolled over and either called it quits or gotten too dejected you know to think oh i can't do it but like this is always going to happen always 
you know, unless you live in a professional little bubble, which even those, you know, even professional runners get injured, have problems. Uh, yeah, being consistent and being ready to be malleable and to roll with, you know, the hand you're dealt and not let it get you down. I don't know if I had those, those are probably the two biggest things to like be able to go to a race and be content with how you, how you got there and, uh, content with the result. Very cool. Well, last thing I'll make sure to add it all in the show notes, but your coaching business is trails and And if people are just interested in learning what you're all about and the coaches that are in, in the program, can they email you or call you just to like get a sense of what they could do with you? Without a doubt. I mean, that people do that all the time, you know, uh, you know, it's, we don't, it's, it's all these coaching, you know, companies or coaching individuals are different. You know, we don't have like a sign up now button on our website or, you know, oh, you have to, you know, pay a hundred dollars to get an, in, you know, to like get started. We talk to people on a, you know, on a free, you know, on a free consultation sort of basis, people yeah. who are interested, uh, who want to learn more, who want to see, you know, what, see which coaches are available, what the, what the pricing looks like, how it works. So yeah, I'm either emailing people or, you know, getting them connected with their potential coach. And then, you know, they get to, you have a call with whoever may or may not coach you. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, there's no, you know, you don't, there's no commitment at that time. Like this call is a get to know you sort of call. You can ask all your questions and, and get to know this coach and might, maybe you'll say, you know, that coach, I like that person, but that's not the right fit for me. I'm going to yeah. keep doing, you know, I think people should shop around getting a coaching relationship is as you found out, like it can be really long-term and it, it's a big part of your life if you're, you know, really into running and, and, and so it's not something you want to sign up now button for yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's something that you, if you as the athlete, the person thinking about getting a coach or changing coaches, like, um, yeah, it's, it's something that to probably think about for a little while and, and to do some research on and, and talk to a few different people. I mean, that's what I would say. So yeah, uh, people can totally reach out to us on our website. There's a, you know, just like a short little intake form that you can fill out, or you can just email info at trails and tarmac.com too. Cool. Well, hey, uh, thanks again, and I'm excited to hopefully share some or many miles together at I, Canyons on Saturday. It'll be a lot of fun. I know. What are you? Uh, what time do you get in on Friday? So I, we're flying. I have a 3 p.m. flight from Salt Lake on Thursday, and oh, on Thursday, our, nice. our Airbnb. So I'm staying with my buddy Caleb Olson, who is also mm -hmm. uh, racing on Saturday. He's one to watch. And then Leah Yingling and her husband as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, our, cool. the Airbnb is like right on the course. It's wild. Like they could actually oh, technically watch us from the course. It's awesome. So, uh, sweet dude. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll, I don't know. I'll probably be rolling in there Friday sometime. Okay. Perhaps I'll see you at the check-in. Uh, but either way, I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be good if we shared some miles. I don't think it would hurt either of us if we did it right. Cool. <laughs> well, I will definitely not be a part of that initial stampede. So if you're looking to hang back with somebody, I'll be there. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if we can link up in the in the pitch black dark. <laughs> Alrighty. Hey, until next time. I, thanks. Hey, see you, Finn. Hey, thanks for listening. As always, the only asks I have are that you subscribe to, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track.